Today's podcast is brought to you by Something Blue by Anita Kay, specializing in wedding and event photography. Visit her page on Facebook. For those in love, capture those memories with Something Blue by Anita Kay. It's really big. It's getting bigger and bigger. My love bigger than a candle this has got to be much, much, much bigger. The biggest fool. This is probably the biggest thing I ever got into. That's big, big, big. The Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast with Mark Pulo starts now. We can't give them this much power in the cartoon world. A podcast, and I was told that if I did your podcast that I would, you know, advance to the next level. And we're podcasting and photographizing in front of the great... The worst gigs of their life are, are with, because of Mark Pulo's. <laughs> Anyone want a husband? Free free to a home. Now it doesn't even have to be a good home, just free to a home. Ladies and gentlemen, Andre the Giant would like to do his impression of Willie Nelson. Suck yourself dry! Alright. Hello folks and welcome back to the Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Poulos. Good to be back. It's, uh, on the podcast today, um, the last podcast that I did, uh, some really good um, responses to it, a lot of positive responses, so I thought I would kind of elaborate on that and tell a few stories from the road and stuff, because if you're not privy to the last episode, I was talking a lot about the comedy bookers and their role in the comedy business and how when comedy first began, they held a lot of power because without the internet, without cell phones, they had the connections and they were the ones that were booking all the rooms and starting rooms and they were kind of the kings of comedy. And things have definitely changed with the internet. You know, people are paving their own way in the business and comedy bookers are just kind of scrambling to stay relevant, you know. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I got, uh, I guess you would call it fired from a booking company. Um, and basically, it was just over. They had a room in the city. I needed to make some money, so I did the the room in the other city and it was too close to their city so they decided to not work with me anymore and you know it was a long list of of things about how I'd done it before and I don't have any respect for loyalty and and uh and all that stuff and it's just uh water under the bridge at this point but you know this company They've had a pretty horrible reputation of threatening comedians and kind of trying to strong arm them and stuff. And I think a lot of their integrity as a company can be seen in the rooms that they book around the country and how they facilitate those rooms and how they cultivate them and and how they take care of them and all that kind of stuff because I think that's a really big point and, you know, like, don't get me wrong. I know 
that this company is like one of the biggest comedy booker companies, if not the biggest. They have a lot of rooms that they book, so they don't have, you know, probably the time to go and kind of, you know, maintenance all these clubs and make sure that they're doing it right type of thing. And I think that's the biggest problem is like, you know, there's a lot of comedy bookers that are doing it right. You know, Chuck Johnson, Jeff Johnson, David Tribble to an extent, you know, I know his stuff is far, few and far between and some of his rooms are rough. But he he gets out there and he goes to the rooms and he checks them out and and he's really in the middle of it, making sure things are going well. You know, Doug and Dana, they're, you know, knee-deep in stuff. Michael Thorne, you know, the um, there's just so many people that are doing it right. And it just kind of sucks that one of the biggest companies that's out there is doing it so wrong you know and i just thought it would be interesting to tell a few stories from some of my experiences at some of their comedy rooms around the country obviously main street comedy was a big one (laughs) um i'm not going to rehash the whole thing if you go back and listen to the first time that Stu mccallister was on the show we were we were knee deep in main street comedy at that point um dealing with it so basically the cliff notes version of it was there was a comedy club in Evansville Indiana called um god what the hell was the the first name of it I feel like it was like laughs comedy club or laugh in comedy club or something like that but they changed their name to main street comedy and they were kind of have this relaunch type of thing because they were uh, trying to rebrand themselves and it just so happened that me and Stu McAllister was the first weekend down there and have what what they had told us initially was that there was going to be two shows on Friday and two on Saturday and halfway there they told us that they were going to be doing it a little different they were going to have some kind of comedy festival on friday and it was going to last like three hours and they were going to have food and drinks and all this kind of stuff and obviously when when we got there it was was a major clusterfuck because technically it was a festival but the people that were on the show were just open micers from evansville and i think half of them had like maybe one or two experiences on stage there was just a real air of weirdness in the room like i think there was 200 people to start the show and then by the time me and Stu got up there there was about 20 because they went for like three hours and i told the owner afterwards i was like we're not doing this tomorrow i go you have to cut some people and we're not doing a three-hour comedy show tomorrow and and thankfully they they didn't do that but it was just an example like to get the phone call from from this company telling me that this was what was going to happen instead of them understanding that that was a stupid idea and telling them like no you can't do this because it's going to ruin the comedy show it just it kind of showed 
it showed their lack of interest in policing this new room that they had just uh, picked up. I think one of the biggest um, caverns of comedy that they book is uh, this club in Maryville, Indiana called Wisecrackers. It's in a Radisson Hotel. And it's it, they literally transform the breakfast nook into a comedy club on Fridays and Saturdays. And I think it's so funny because they used to have a comedy club there at the Radisson, and then it closed. And then they didn't have comedy for a long time, and then they decided to do comedy again. And they were doing it in the breakfast nook, and I was like one of the first acts that went there when they reopened. And this guy, he was like the head of security. He was wearing an earpiece, and he was like, you know, we take policing the room very seriously, and we don't want people to get out of hand, so there'll be tons of people in here, and they'll handle the situation, and if anybody gets out of hand, don't attack them from stage. We'll handle it. So I was like, oh, okay. So I got up there, and, and this guy was heckling me the whole time I was up there, and I was just like waiting for somebody to step in. And I was only doing like 45 minutes. So at about 30 minutes of nobody doing anything, I finally was like, will you just shut the fuck up? And this guy sitting behind him was like, do you hear what he said? He said, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and then they started fighting. So that was great. So I'm on stage and they're fighting and they're rolling over tables and crashing glasses and, uh, Security, nowhere to be found. Uh, the waitresses had to break up the fight. And after the show, we're back there trying to sell our merch. It's just a weird vibe in the room after the fight. And the security guy comes back in and he goes, hey, I heard it was a good show. And I was like, are you kidding? And he's like, what? And I go, you didn't hear? And he goes, didn't hear what? And I'm like, these guys are fighting. They're rolling over tables. You know, glasses are shattering. There's nobody in here. And the waitresses were like... We tried to call you like five times. We had to deal with it ourselves. And I was like, you know, really great security here. And so that guy was pissed at me the rest of the weekend. But I'm just like, I mean, what the hell, you know? And then I heard like a year later of a, of a story, which I, I do a bit about it in my act now because it was so funny. I got to the comedy club. This is Wisecrackers again. And the lady said... Uh, you know, we're excited to have you back. And I just got to let you know that last week during the headliner set, we had kind of an incident. Somebody started getting a hand job during the comedy show. And I was like, why do I need to know this information? And she goes, well, we want you to keep your eyes open and make sure there's nobody else getting hand jobs. I'm like, this is my job is to be the comedian and the hand job monitor. Like, but the best part about it is like, um, the lady that was sitting next to the hand job wrote a TripAdvisor review, which is still online. I was, I was actually reading it the other day. Um, I should probably read it on the podcast because it's pretty funny. I'll obviously, I'll leave out uh, the comedian's name that was involved because I know he's, he's not too happy being connected with. Uh, this incident because you know obviously the review was kind of derogatory towards him and uh yeah anyways it should load here in a sec 
let's see uh wise crackers comedy club trip advisor review here we go so the root the the review is entitled hotel was beautiful comedy club not so funny <laughs> so here's a review it says the facility and the staff were wonderful beautiful rooms very comfortable beds our group decided to go to wisecrackers comedy club and did not have a pleasant experience the first comic was horrible the second comic was noticeably stoned i ended up leaving because there was nothing funny about either of the comics my husband stayed around only to have witnessed sexual activity going on with other patrons of the comedy club and no one from the facility intervened the comic lost control of the situation and focused all his attention on the sexual encounter that was going on and i love the response from the hotel because what's funny is even though her husband witnessed a hand job she still gave them a five-star review so it says good day thank you for the five-star review even though you did not have a great experience in our comedy club we've been made aware of the circumstances and we sincerely apologize please let me know if you would like to speak to me about the details more in depth <laughs> like come on <laughs> I mean, when they told me that story, I was just like, how bad was the comedian doing that, that somebody got so bored, they were like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just start hand-jobbing the guy sitting next to me. I mean, but that's the thing. It's like, you know, they they run fast and loose, trying to get as many comedy clubs under their umbrella as they can because ding 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 the more places they book the more money they get and you know i don't know like they they at this point have what i consider the crappiest paying one-nighter in the history of comedy they book a thursday night comedy show at a holiday inn in spring lake michigan where it's $100 to open and $150 to be the headliner. I mean, ridiculous. And they tell you right up front that this place is like a tourist place in the summertime, so frequently they won't have a room for the comedian, and they'll just like send you to a different hotel in town, which is much worse than the beautiful Holiday Inn that's right on Spring Lake. One time, <clears throat> I was working with a good friend, Rob Breckenridge, and we got to the front desk, and we were like, where the comedians were checking in, and the lady's like, oh, I don't, I don't have your reservation, and we were like, well, we're the comedians tonight, there should be a reservation, and she said, well, we're sold out, so, and I said, oh, okay, I said, well, just tell us where we're going, and she's like, where you're going? And I said, well, yeah, if you don't have a room for us here, you have to get us a room someplace else. And she said, why would we do that? That would cost us money. And then at that point, I was like, can I speak to the manager? You know. And then the manager comes over, and she's like, oh, we have that room for them, like one room. And I was like, oh, shit. 
And I said, we're both supposed to get a room. And she's like, well, we're sold out. So I'm like, well, I turned to Rob and Rob's like, I'll take the room because I'm probably going to have some drinks tonight and I don't want to drive. And so I'm like, okay, I'll take a room someplace else. And she's like, well, no, we're not going to do that because that'll cost us money. So you're both going to stay in that room. And I was like, what the fuck? So I called the booker and they called, I guess, the hotel, which just basically got me yelled at because, like, the guy from the comedy show came out and told us that calling the booker was a huge mistake and he was yelling at us. And I'm like, what the fuck? And it was just like a huge clusterfuck. And the whole time I'm just like, God, we're, we're going through all of this for like 150 bucks, 100 bucks. And to get, you know, treated like that, it was, it was kind of a shitty thing. But uh, there was a couple other instances that were stand out in my mind. I think Laughs Comedy Club in South Bend, Indiana has to be like the craziest story in comedy I've ever heard in my fucking life. So this guy... <laughs> I can't remember what his name was, but he decided that he wanted to do comedy in South Bend. And there used to be a funny bone there that was very successful. And then it closed down during the the recession. And this guy decided to start a comedy club right behind the funny bone at this bar. So he didn't build a comedy club. He didn't do it. He just basically um, convinced this bar to let him do comedy in the pool room on Fridays and Saturdays. And the best part about it was they only gave him, I think it was like 70 minutes each night to do his comedy shows. So the show had to be finished at this certain time like it had to be done at nine because they wanted their pool room back <laughs> anyways so this guy um he was working with the one company i think and he wasn't paying his bills so then they went to like social media and started calling him a thief and, and he wasn't paying his bills. So then this other booking company started working with him because, you know, it's a place that does comedy. So there, you know, there's bound to be some money made there. So they start working with him and shocker, he starts not paying his bills again. So this new company drops him. But I think what the surprising thing was that the the company that canned me picked it back up again. After all that shit, they picked it up again. And that's when I got sent there to do comedy. So I'm there for like two days. The first day, um, the guy tells me, we're going to have a guest spot on the show and there's like an MC, a guest spot, a feature act, and then I'm going to go up and it's a 70 fucking minute show. So the MC goes up, he does 10, the guest spot 
does like 15 and the feature act does like 45 or some shit. Anyways, I just remember there being like maybe 19 minutes to nine o'clock. And I said, uh, you know, this feature act you got just went way over. I'm like, what do you want me to do? And he goes, well, the show has to end at nine o'clock. So I'm like, you want me to do 19 minutes? The headliner that you brought in from out of town, you want me to do 19 minutes? And he's like, well, there's nothing we can do. The show has to be done at nine. So I'm like, all right. So I did 19 minutes the first night. And then he tells me, uh, he goes, I, I feel bad about what happened tonight. And he goes, I have a corporate show tomorrow at this country club and it pays like an extra hundred bucks if you want to do it it's like a 20 minute set and i was like okay so he goes this is what we're gonna do he goes we're i'm gonna come pick you up we're gonna go there uh you'll do the set and then we'll be back just in time for you to get on stage to do your headline set so i'm like what could go wrong right so we go over there and the gig is like in the basement of this comedy club and it's just a weird setup and we're just waiting for the show to start and the guy keeps coming over he's like it'll be five more minutes or whatever and i looked at him and i was like what is our what is our absolute like we have to leave at this time or i'll miss my set at the comedy club and he's like well that's eight fifteen. So right now, at when I asked him that, I think it was like 7.45. So there's still enough time for me to do my 20-minute set and us get out of there. So they lollygag. It gets to be like 8 o'clock. So we're like, are we going to start now? And, and they were like, hold on one sec. We're almost done with dessert or something. Anyways, I went on, and I feel like it was like four minutes like it was eight eleven, and we had to leave. Like the deadline was eight fifteen, or this other show that was going on where I was making the majority of my money was going to be fucked up because I didn't get back there in time. So I looked at him before I went on stage, and I said, "What am I going to do?" And he goes, "You got to do the four minutes, apologize, and we got to go." So I literally like made fun of some guy and told one joke and then i was like well we gotta go and the look on these people's faces as we just went up the stairs and out of the country club and the one guy like chased us down and was like screaming at us in the parking lot like what the fuck was that what the hell are you guys where are you guys going and the guy who was running the comedy club he was pissed he was like he was like i fucking told you we had a deadline i fucking told you and I was like, what have I got myself into? I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And if that, if all that isn't bad enough, so uh, we get back, I make it on stage in time. The show was actually really fun. I got to do my 40, 45 minutes. Everything's wrapping up. We're just kind of hanging out. And here comes this guy hat in hand ho humming it up to me to give me my check for the week and he says to me he goes um he goes gosh man he goes i got a huge favor to ask he goes is there any chance that you'll wait 
until next Friday to cash this check. It's Saturday. He wants me to wait until next Friday to deposit it. And I told him that my car bill was due on Wednesday and that was the best that I was that I could do. And and he was like, "Oh, okay." And I didn't even think about it at the time. But we had that back and forth. He's holding my check. And then we agree on Wednesday, and he just gave me the check. So I was like, I didn't even think about it. I was like, whatever. So I got home. Wednesday comes around, and I go to the bank to deposit it. And the lady's like, this check is post-dated to Friday. And I was like, son of a bitch. This fucking guy, he post-dated it to Friday and didn't even ask me about it. And it's just like so frustrating because I didn't get any heads up on that. And, and there were so many times, there were, I played one club where, um, you know, the guy was having a tough time and I feel bad now looking back in retrospect because, you know, he was, he was having some family problems and I was kind of, I'm kind of going through some of the same stuff that he was going through. So I, I feel horrible about it now, but it was just like, so he paid me a check and I got a call from somebody else that had just worked there, and they basically said, you know, don't deposit that check because it's it's probably going to bounce. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I called the bank, and, you know, they, they told me there was no money in the account, so I'm like, shit. So for like a week and a half, I was going back and forth with this guy trying to get the money, and he, you know, he didn't want to give it up, and he was having a lot of problems. So I called the booker, and I was like, "Listen, this is your room. You vouch for this room. You sent me to this room. Now this check is no good. I'm gonna drive to your office tomorrow, give you this check, and you're gonna give me a good check." And within like minutes, the guy had wired me the money that he owed me, and it was just like. You know, it happened a few other times. And that's the thing, it's like I I, I don't I don't wanna pretend like I know what it's what it's like to be a booker and have to deal with all these different accounts and all these different people and try to explain to them like you have to pay every week, like you can't post state checks and you know, they're probably calling every week like, Oh, you know, we're not making that much money. I don't think we're gonna do this anymore and you know, you got to fire him up to the idea of comedy again. and But it's just like a mentality. Like the idea of going back into business with that guy in South Bend. Like that's just a horrible idea. But all they saw was like, oh, we got this room back. We're going to make some more money. And, and, and they're just vicious people. You know, I think one of the worst stories I ever heard... <clears throat> There was a comedy club in Sioux Falls, South Dakota called Nitwits, and it was a great club. Um, it was booked by a lady out of Omaha, and I got the pleasure of going there a few times before it closed. My first comedy album was actually recorded at, at the Nitwits in Sioux Falls. Just so such down-to-earth, like genuine people that worked at Nitwits. So after a while, if there not being any comedy in Sioux Falls... Um, one of the ladies that was involved with Nitwits decided to open up her own comedy club called Fat Daddies. And it was booked by this 
company that fired me and and everything was good for for quite a while and then uh the lady and the booking company had some kind of a disagreement um she wanted to bring in these certain comics and they basically like flat out refused to send those comedians there and it was because <laughs> because of other shit you know that they pulled on the booking company so it's like here's a here's a comedy club that's like we're paying you to book comics in here and we want these comics and you're not sending us those comics so basically she told him to fuck off and she started booking her club herself and then they like threatened her with all this legal action and like this non-compete clause where she wouldn't be able to do comedy for like two years in the city because she signed a contract with funny business and i mean that's the type of shit that's just like when i hear that like that they have a non-compete clause in there and you know everything has a non-compete clause in it nowadays but I mean, it's kind of a dick move to write that in that if the the club decides that that they don't want to deal with the booker anymore and they want to do it themselves they have to wait two years to do comedy there again but it's like you play devil's advocate i get it you know it's like the comedy club doesn't know any of these comedians and now this booking company has sent all these comedians there so they've been able to build these relationships and get their facebooks and their emails and everything and now they don't need the booking company anymore they just contact them directly well now they've kind of stolen money out of their pocket but it's just like it's the price of doing business you know booking the club and running the club is probably hard ass work that's why you know they get an outside company to do it but the other stuff that came along after that just made me sick to my stomach to listen to it you know so the Fat Daddies was actually in the basement of a bar in Sioux Falls, and they had an agreement with the bar upstairs that somehow they were able to use their liquor license to like sell booze downstairs. And then when it, so when they parted ways with the booking company, um, somehow the booking company had a really close relationship with the people upstairs. So they, they, the booking company was starting to um, kind of cultivate a different relationship and try to get another comedy thing going in Sioux Falls. So basically they told the bar upstairs, like, hey, we have this new venture going on. We want to keep you involved because I think the guy upstairs owned the other bar that they were thinking about doing comedy in and basically told them like pull the liquor license like don't let them sell liquor and that's what they did so when i went back there the next time like they were literally doing comedy down there and they were serving like sodas and water and the other shitty part about it was like it was kind of hard to realize where fat daddy's was because it was in the basement of this bar 
so they had a, like this big sign that was in the front window like fat daddy's comedy club like come in downstairs blah 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 so not only did they pull the liquor license they pulled down like all the posters and all the signage and everything for fat daddy so like nobody knew where the fuck they were you know and this lady's like trying her hardest to like make make it through and she's got no money she can't advertise and like um the guy who owned the bar um he had a connection to the radio station so they were pushing her out so she couldn't even advertise and i mean in the end she she got driven out of business and and they had to close so now there's a different uh there's a different comedy thing in sioux falls which really sucks because she was a good lady and deserved to be successful you know but it's just like that's that's i think the biggest thing about this booking company that i'm dealing with like they don't forget anything and they hold grudges like it's fucking medieval times like literally the first two gigs i ever did for them i went to caseville michigan was the first gig and it was a two-show saturday and the first show there was four old people at the show so needless to say i ate a bunch of shit that show and right after the show the guy came up to me and he told me he said you're not funny and i just called funny business and told him you were the worst comic i've ever seen and i'm like there was four old people in the crowd how can you even go by that and he's like i know funny and you're not funny and i was like what the fuck so i do that gig and then the next gig i had with them was the next week and it was at a restaurant in rockford illinois it was like a family restaurant like they told us to be clean and i was clean but the headliner was really vulgar and the lady lumped us in together so like any time i would call them for work for the literally the next nine months i would ask for work and then they would bring up the fact that i got a d in caseville and a vulgar in rockford and how would they ever put me anywhere and that's the thing is like all their venues they watch the comedians and then they grade them a b c or d and a plus b minus all this kind of bullshit and nine times out of ten it's just some waitress that didn't even see the show and you know if you don't hang out to drink you know they think you're a dick so they give you an f and all this kind of stuff but literally for fucking nine months after that anytime i called them they would open the conversation with well you got a d in caseville and a vulgar in rockford so i don't know if we can work you anymore so after a while i just fucking stopped calling him you know and my mentor god bless his soul uh bill bauer he asked me why I wasn't working for him anymore, and I told him the story, and he was kind of an intermediary between them. And, and uh, it was like 2003, um, this comedy duo called The Stage Benders had a show in um, the UP of Michigan, and they needed an opener. And, you know, Bill suggested me, and they were like on the fence about it. And I literally had to call them and beg for them to let me do this show to show them that I'm not a D comic and I'm not a vulgar comic. And looking back on it, like I'm so disgusted that I even had to do that. But it's just like, uh, it's comedy, you know? It's like, 
These bookers know full well that a new guy in the business, just like music, you know, they'll do anything to get out there and and be a road comic, you know, even if they don't understand how it works, you know, like they'll do all this shit because they don't know any better, you know, and I'm not here to say that like every comedian that comes out should not take work from these people or whatever. It's just, you know, new, know who you're getting in bed with and understand that they're not the end all be all like you need to find a path on your own and, and make yourself the commodity and not deal with them. But I I remember when I when I first started, I took a comedy class from Scott Novotny, and 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 he brought me in to do a show, and I was so jazzed up about it. I literally started at, I'd done one professional show, and I was like asking the other comedians, like, "How does this work? How do we do this? I want to be a professional comedian. Where do I go? What do I do?" And they're like, "Slow the fuck down, like." You have to evolve and get through this stuff and, and understand that, you know, there's timing to this and you got to learn and put in your time. And I think somebody put on Facebook the other day, like asking new comedians to stop putting on their own fucking shows at bars and begging places to to do these shows and then they show up with like nine open mic comics and they all suck balls and then these places don't ever want to do comedy again you know it's selfish but i i get it i understand where it's coming from because when you first start out in comedy like nobody wants to know or or hear that you have to do it for like three or four years and not get paid to just learn how to do it you know there's certain guys out there that don't understand the process. They think like I'm funny enough to do it right now. And, and they're not, you know, they suck balls. You got to learn, you know, but anyways, I think one of the worst things that ever came down the pipe dealing with this company was, um, they had a room in Toledo that paid like $200 to feature. You were doing like six shows. So I basically told them like, I don't ever want to go back to Toledo unless I'm headlining. So I hadn't been there in like two and a half years. And I got in with this guy, Dave Stroop, who's like, he's number one right now. I mean, there's no, everybody wants to be in with Dave Stroop because he books 14 A rooms. Like you're featuring making headliner money and sometimes you get to sell merch sometimes you don't but it's like it's literally the pinnacle of comedy right now like you know how johnny carson was kind of it like nowadays if you're a road touring comedian like getting in with dave stroop is like the thing and if you can pull that off like 14 weeks a year of a rooms you're working with famous people and and building this fan base it's just like the end all be all so i had gotten that relationship i was in and dave called me and asked me if i wanted to do toledo and they just opened a brand new club there what i didn't know was the booking company and this guy that that owned the shitty comedy club in town was like doing some real shady shit to try to shut down the new club that was coming into town and it kind of sucked you know my name went up on the website and they called me and said if I did it I'd 
lose all the work I had with them and they'd never book me again and and it was difficult but I had two back out of the week with Stroop and and he kind of never forgave me about it and it still haunts me to this day you know and it's just like I'm glad to be free of this company they just very predatory you know they they understand how the game works and they use it to their advantage and they squeeze every nickel and dime out of the out of the the business and and it's just like sometimes when you watch them and you talk to them and you kind of listen to what they say and what they do you're just like i don't know if this company even cares a, a little bit about the actual art of stand-up comedy like i think it's just money you know and granted they are a business they need to make money but you know you kind of have to take care of of the people that work for you and and sometimes i don't think they do but you know just as i i've left other booking agencies behind me that have done shady things I leave these guys behind me and and maybe there's a story in the future where we mend bridges and work together again but I think I think their mind is kind of made up about me and and my mind is made up about them so we'll see how it all shakes out in the end but uh I think the moral of this podcast is just to say that uh branch out don't think any booker is the end all be all um you know life is long and you know bridges get mended and and things change for sure so don't have too much anxiety that you're not in with these people or those people just keep writing and keep performing and and keep working at making you the commodity that's all you need to worry about so you can always get this uh, podcast at iTunes and Podbean and Stitcher. Uh, check out largedrunkman.com for my upcoming dates. I've updated those. Um, this weekend, pretty excited. I am doing a show at uh, the Beacon Bar in Duluth, Minnesota. So if you live in Duluth and listen to the podcast, come out to the, the Beacon, March 11th at 8 o'clock. Uh, be a really fun show and and then on saturday i head up to canyon minnesota to do the dog house um my good friend randy and carlo hooked me up with it and he's going to be opening for me and i hear it's a a really cool place and a good time so if you're in that area come out to the beacon or the dog house friday and saturday and uh come by say hi yeah that's about all I got. Tune in next time when we talk about who knows.